0: My, my parents yeah, fake cool. uh, him. How did you gonna be as equal to telling as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him? I could beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy <laughs> that was. And he's better than us. Are you serious, James? Hold bank Blank name is uh well known. What's that? You smile? It's like fear. Right, listen. Hmm. If you if you wanna sort it out, find me. You didn't find me. You could have fought me and you didn't. If you wanna find me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do all the cobbles if you want Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. Oh uh, no no no! We gotta talk to Al. Top Rank got some shit going on. Matter of fact, boxing on some bullshit well, oh, to- The the UK fans, they they love the fights. They also love the production. They love, they love to applaud and moan the talent. So what's happened? Our amateurs have come back as heroes. Um, Eddie's shown us the direction that zona headed in without committing too much just yet. And it looks like we're going to get that surge in Q4. And we're hearing all sorts of crazy rumors, you know, people dropping out of fights, 40-year-olds making comebacks. You know, the, I guess the grift is undefeated, right? But I just wanted to touch on the Olympics briefly. I've talked about it a lot in the previous podcast. And I've said, you know, here are the people to look out for. And I've given you the reasons why. And I'm happy that Galalia Fai delivered, Kelly Harrington delivered, and Lauren Price delivered. I want to just focus on the goals for a second because you have to, right? It's a it's a rare privilege. Once every four years, you get to get you get to sit on top of the mountain. Once every four years, you get to be the man or the woman in your division. And in the case of the women, you demonstrate that you are one of the best boxers of any code on this planet. And Kelly did that. And as you know well, my. My love affair with Kelly Harrington, the boxer, started in probably 2015. I thought she was special then. I thought she was unique. I've said it on numerous occasions. I think she's a better boxer than Katie Taylor. I think what she may lack is a little bit of pop in her punches. But as a mover, as a ring general, as a thinker in the ring, I think she's light years ahead of Katie Taylor. It's just my opinion. And then I look at Lauren Price and I say, there's someone who could easily make 69 kilos and here she is at 75 boxing dominantly amazing amazing performance you know and she's made the united kingdom proud she's made wales proud and i'm glad that wales get to toast a legitimate olympic gold medalist in the boxing now you know let her be your hero whether she turns pro or not neither here nor there She's a legit British hero, and she should get the endorsements, and she should get the Adidas deals and the Nike deals because she's right at the top of that Mount Olympus, isn't she? In a division that we respect for having Clarissa Shields in there. So kudos to to them and to Galal Yafai as well. You know, the third of the Yafai brothers, and probably the the one who seemingly learnt the most from the mistakes of the the other two, which is impressive in itself, and. I think I may have talked about this before. I didn't think he should turn pro in 2016, simply because I didn't think there was anything there for him. So another four years wouldn't do him any harm, and I was proved right. Because he did what many of the others from 2016 didn't. He got better and more focused. And then we had the Silvers, obviously Pat McCormack and Ben Whitaker, both will do amazingly well in the pros. They, they will have the machine behind them. Who they signed for? Up in the air, I wouldn't be surprised if there'll be sky fighters because when you've got profiles like they do, and I put Gadal, you'll find the same category as well. The nation will remember who they are, much like Joshua. You know, once you do something for this country, this country will always stand behind you. That's one thing you've got to respect about the Brits, they'll always back you. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Kelly do something as well. But then, does Kelly Harrington need it? national hero already. She'll get all the endorsements Katie used to get and she could go again in Paris. You know, she wouldn't be too old then. She could do the Commonwealth and she could do Paris, which is a nightmare for Caroline Dubois because then you're like, well, when did she get her chance to shine? And then the bronze medalists, and I can't even remember them off the top of my head. Fraser, um, definitely Karis Artingstall who was classed, been classed throughout uh, and whoever else got bronze. Apologies if I've forgotten the names, but it's been it that sort of week. And it, overall, massive tick for British and Irish boxing. My only criticism is this. In the two gold medal fights where we got silver, we didn't have plan Bs. We didn't know how to change it up when plan A wasn't working. I don't blame the fighters for that. I think that's just a GB thing. They have one way of boxing. It either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, there's no plan B. And maybe that's a development point for the institution. Like, look, we've got to have a plan B and a plan C, especially when you're jumping with the Cubans. Because the Cubans will always be Cuban, if that makes sense. It'll always be about the manipulation of space and geometry. And you have to find a way to disrupt that. It's not always going to be the same way every time, but you've got to find a way to disrupt it. And that's what I feel in summary. I know some people are putting pound costs on each gold medal. And they're saying, well, look, they get... I said, 13 million in an Olympic cycle? Could that be better used in the grassroots? Maybe. Because what we're finding is we're not developing good enough boxers to challenge the existing cohort at the moment. So there's no one in the UK right now that can challenge Lauren Price, not even on talent or anything. There's no one that can really challenge Karis Artin Stall at the moment. There's no one that can really challenge Fraser Clark at 91 plus just yet, but that gap's closing. And there's no one that can challenge Ben Whittaker. So if these guys were to stay on, they'd be pretty secure in their positions because the youngsters coming through have either turned pro or they still haven't got the experience required to to pose those challenges to the existing guys. And as I said earlier, I think all those guys go to... They, they have to either go to Frank or Sky because Eddie's still dealing with the 2016 lot. And he hasn't moved them on significantly and maybe he's been burnt by that experience where he's gone I don't think these amateurs will make good pros because before it was just if you're an Olympian bang I can market you but what he didn't realize is boxing fundamentals are the same have you got a chin have you got pop in both hands have you got the heart to dog it out for a 12-rounder, or if you're, if you're a female, for a 10-rounder? Have you got that in you to dog it out? And if you really look at the kind of post-2016 energy, you're looking back to a 2012 Olympian in Natasha Jonas, who is showing every ounce of that desire and that real drive to, to build a career. And a lot of these guys aren't, because they're coming out the Olympics thinking the red carpet's going to be rolled out for them in the pros, and sadly it's not. And I don't know if they put enough work into building. I know, for sure, Lawrence Okoli did. For sure. The others? Mmm. Not so much so. You know, we'll talk about this later, but you've got Josh Boatsy fighting Bolotniks. Really? I heard on the Ring Talk podcast, and, you know, always worth a listen, that Bolotniks had lost in a small hall show to... It might be Chris Evangelou's brother, I'm guessing there, but someone like this is Alexandru Evangelou? Once, once I hear that, I don't want to see this fight because then it's not like against like. I don't want to hear about none of this. He rebuilt his career, this, that, and the third. He didn't. Yeah. If you're getting dropped and stopped by an Evangelou on a small hall show, that's your level. Everything else is just clever matchmaking and promotion. But now let's salute everyone and let's be, let's be super proud of our nation being good at boxing. And yes, we can talk about the money spent and so forth, but these are people we saw on the way up. And we should be proud of that. Uh, Paris 2024 will be difficult if everyone abandons ship, but if half these guys stay on, then I think there's a chance. But yeah, you know, I still talk about the lack of a generation coming through that are exciting and my challenge to anyone listening is if there are kids out there boxing who are special not kids that you like not kids who are your favorite not kids that you train kids who are ben Whitaker type special kids who could rewrite the rules of boxing tell me who they are and where they are we'll shine some light on those guys and we'll start the journey now but let's switch gears and let's come back to one of my favorite subjects you know match remember mr edward Hearn. So I don't know if it was last week I recorded. It probably was. I gave you guys a double header, and not enough of you listened to it. That's why I do them in singles again, because I don't want to, you know, overdose you with that good stuff. But I got a, a LinkedIn message of all things—a LinkedIn message from someone that works at Dazzurn. Can't say too much. Leadership role within the engineering team. It was it was a bit of an essay. And it was just explaining to me what's going on, not necessarily from a, from a matron perspective, but more from a, like a disown the company perspective. So the plan had never been to start with a bang because they were taking learnings from other countries. And what they realized was when you, when you roll out a new platform and that's what they're doing in terms of like mass adoption in this country, they're, they're rolling out platform and scaling, and they want to scale pretty quickly. So the way you do that is you get, essentially, you run a beta test, a live beta test. And there's no other way to simulate 20,000 people trying to watch boxing than have 20,000 people trying to watch boxing. Now, I don't know if it was 20,000. I don't think the numbers were that high for Saturday's show. Definitely weren't for, for the first one. But essentially what Dazone are doing now is running a live beta test. And what they're able to do is go, guys, track what our users are doing on the platform. What content are they engaging with? Where are they going to? And so what you start to do is build patterns of behavior. What works or what doesn't work. I'm sure things will break. As, as and when people start behaving in uncoordinated and random ways, things will start to break. And so they can make all of their mistakes before they get 200,000 people on the platform for like a Joshua fight. So they're making all of their mistakes now. And that's not just from a tech perspective, it would seem. It's from a production perspective, shoulder content. They're making a lot of the mistakes now and gathering the feedback. So we're all living in a live beta test for this DAZN platform. And so that lifted my spirits up because then I understood why you got the cards that you have. Because... I don't think the money for these cards is even coming out of Eddie's budget. It may actually just be coming out of the, the development and transformation budget because you have to run a test and you factor the cost of your test into whatever, you do, you, whatever your delivery plan is. And that's got nothing to do with Eddie. Eddie's just a contributor to the process. So if Eddie's able to deliver three fights without taking any money out of his zone budget, kudos to him. You know, Kudos to him. I don't know if that, that part is true that's me supposing but if Eddie's able to say to Joe no 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 the money for this card and that card and that card are on your balance sheet because we would have done something different and better but you told us not to because there'd be too many users and you don't want to give 100,000 people a bad experience you know when you could easily find these errors with 10 to 20,000 people So issues with login, for example, and logging and onboarding is pretty hard at at the best of times, whatever your organization is. The only people I know that really do it well are the big banks and the big tech companies. Generally, people get it wrong. You know, those core areas. So off the top of my head is stuff like user onboarding, user verification, Um, subscription management is something people don't really talk about. So being able to convert from a trial account to a full account or rolling off as a full account. Do you see what I mean? All all of these things become important when you've got 200,000 people on your platform. You you don't want to have 200,000 service tickets flying out the back. You don't want to have 200,000 feedback um, responses saying that your platform's terrible. So I understand now why Dizona are doing what they're doing. It's a live beta test. You want to have people on your card who aren't going to draw too much interest. And so that's what you've got. Three weeks of it, you know, you guys are getting it for about two quid. So you know that it's kind of being subsidized for you. That's how you know it's a beta test. Because it's going to go straight up when the serious fights start to kick in. Which I think is around the Josh Warrington fight. So at that point, you want people to be able to, to sign up for zone, Like at scale. So if 200,000 people on Saturday afternoon want to buy that zone subscription to watch your Warrington fight. You've got to have the capability to do it. And i think what they'll move to over time is is like a fight pass and i don't know i mean i could have chosen a better brand name for it but like a disowned pass that says oh you want to watch joshua tonight but you don't want to be a subscriber okay pay this much so you might you know you might just pay the three quid and then you get the fight and nothing else or you know and you use that as a way to say if you really just want to watch the fight then cool but if you want to watch the fight next week you may as well subscribe for the month or for three months. And I think they'll start to play around with the pricing that way. And so this is why all of this behavior is important because what DAZN want to do is pull down all of this data and that will control how they price, how they promote. Do you do introductory offers? Do you get a free month? You know, All those sorts of things. Do you do the three months at half price and then the rest of the year at full price if you commit to 12 months? All of these sorts of things are stuff you're going to see coming out. I've talked before about the wider strategy, which is to bring in interactive features, betting. Can you talk to people? Can I talk to the guys in the studio? You know, all those sorts of things, making it a bit more two-way, but they're not there yet. So that's the stuff that they're working on. I know they're running demos internally for stuff like that. And, you know, feedback seems good at the moment, but like everything else, they'll try it. Small set of users, see how they behave, and scale it up if it works. If it doesn't, it'll just get parked. But I think just from a tech perspective, the stuff the Zona doing is quite interesting. And it's a different way to, to doing boxing because if you think about Sky, Sky don't have this kind of data on their users because we watch it on TV. And our TVs are notoriously bad at capturing things like this. We don't have to opt into cookies on Sky, for example. So they don't track our journey and they're not particularly bothered all Sky care about is how many people watch this. How you arrived at it, they don't really care because they know their formula. They've got years of data, years of experience in understanding it. own don't have that. So they have to rely on having a large number of data points that are representative of customer behavior and then reacting to those. So if we talk about the card itself, much of a muchness. I'm not going to slate it. I understand that it serves a purpose and it gave us Alan Babbage and Babbage is just good entertainment, isn't he? He reminds me of Wolf from gladiators in a lot of ways. You shouldn't like Alan Babbage, but the way he packages up a load of things that would normally irritate you make him really likable. So I'm a big Alan Babbage fan. I love the fact that he's a small heavyweight and he's bullying bigger heavyweights and he's showing he has no fear, you know, and you can see that he's a product of really hard sparring with guys like Dilly and Fabio Wardley. I know he sparred JP for a bit. And you can see that he he's he's not afraid. And so there's so much to like about Alan Babbage. His press conferences are good. How he interacts with people is good. Everything about him is good. And I can see why Eddie keeps him close, because he's good for views. He's He's like Dave Allen in that sense. That he becomes a cult figure, but where Dave is, you know, more old school, slipping, sliding, doing this, doing that, Babbage just has one gear and it is just, it's just a kill mode, isn't it? And so we enjoy that as boxing fans. And we saw that against Mark Bennett. Mark Bennett's tough as anything, isn't he? But you knew how the fight was going to end. And when it came, it was an enjoyable fight. It was good to see Babbage have to swallow some leather for a change. And he came, he came, he came out of it pretty well. And I know people say that he can't do it for 12 rounds. But I turn that around and go, who can resist Alan Babbage for 12 rounds? And people go, oh, anyone with a half-decent jab will do this, will do that. The thing about half-decent jabs is if Babbage gets a couple of those headshots on you, your jab just becomes mediocre. So it would be interested to see what his true ceiling is. I don't want to find out too soon. But at some point, we've got to find out what his real ceiling is. Could he do that to anyone? Could he, could he jump in with a Dominic Brazil and give that kind of performance? If he could, kudos to him. But he was Hergovic, right? Give him Hergovic. If that's how we got to find out what his ceiling is, give him Hergovic and let's be entertained. As for um, Johnny Fisher, I can't be negative about him. Like, you've got to give him a couple of years. Give him five to seven fights, maybe ten fights. And then we'll know how good he really is. I'm not I'm not gonna throw rocks at him just yet. He's still learning. Let him keep learning. Would rather he did it on the small hall circuit just to build up a a vociferous fan base. Like you need a constituency in this game. But they'll do what they do with him, so you know, let's let's swiftly skip on to Fabio Wardley. And I know people tell me when it comes to Fabio, oh, he hasn't got this, he doesn't do this, he's this, is that. Most heavyweights have holes in their arsenal. But it's about whether they can do enough damage to the opponent before the opponent gets to their weaknesses. And what I like about Fabio Wardley, he's always trying to stop you. Now, Nick Webb, Nick Webb's an enigma, isn't he? There aren't many people with more power in their backhand than Nick Webb. The sad thing is that's all he has. And if that's not firing and if he's not confident and if he's not fired up, There's nothing else there. And I don't know why and I don't know how. I don't know how you get that out of him. Sometimes I just think some people are big and that's it. He's just a guy that's big. Now, there's some people who grew up small and became big. And you can tell because they still fight like they're small. You know, Wilder, you can tell he always grew up big because he fights like a guy who was always big. Whereas I see someone like Dillian. Dillian fights like a guy who was small growing up and became big. And it's a big difference when it comes to heavyweights because their psychology is important. Nick fights like a guy who's always been big. And so when he comes up against people who are also big, he doesn't have that same confidence. Doesn't have that same belief, doesn't have that same drive. And I look at his career and I go, okay, where next for Nick Webb. And it's hard to tell. Like, Is he just enhancement talent now? Is that all Eddie's going to use him for? At some point, you've got to fight Johnny Fisher. At some point, you've got got to fight Alan Babbage. Be a sad way for it to end because there was a time when people were telling us Nick Webb was better than Joe Joyce. In the amateurs, people were saying Nick Webb is better than Joe Joyce. Now look at the golfing class. So on to the main event. So Kid Galahad versus Jazza Dickens for, I think it's the vacant IBF belt. What do you say about this fight? Other than you saw a gap in class here, like a chasm between the two. And nothing told it more than watching their feet. So if you go back and watch the the fight, and I don't recommend you watch too much of it, but just watch enough of it. And notice that Kid Galahad probably has the best footwork in British boxing. Now people assume footwork is that Cuban stuff like dancing around and sambering and all that sort of stuff. Salsering, sorry. And it's not. And In fact, you, you know my views. I think the Cuban system of boxing is probably the most overrated way of training people how to fight. Particularly if your goal is to win world titles as a professional. For the Olympics, it kind of works if you set it up to work but most people don't and most people can't be bothered to. So it's not actually an effective style because it's very hard to teach. And I see people in the UK trying to teach it. I don't think you can for any number of reasons. But back to what I was saying, watch Kid Galahad's feet. He very rarely, if ever gives up his point of balance. And you don't understand how much hard work that takes to be able to move your feet before you move your body. And Galahad is always able to do that. It's a, it's a skill. But it's a skill born out of repetition and hard work. That's, it's reflective of a guy who doesn't step out the gym. And you've got to respect that. Because that's what a true professional is. Now, poor Jazza Dickens. You didn't know whether his feet were coming or going. or His feet didn't even know where they were supposed to be half the time. But, and, I, and I use this expression a lot when I'm talking to guys when I'm training guys. Boxers box with their feet, fighters fight with their hands. There's a massive difference and you saw that on Saturday night. Jazza Dickens was just worried about where his hands were going to the point where he then just realised that if there wasn't an opening he wasn't going to throw. He didn't even try and create openings. Whereas Kid Galahad did. Created openings, took them and then when Jazza was trying to bob and weave just put his glove over Jazza's neck and said your work here is done my friend. Should the ref have taken a point where given a warning? Probably. But box is a contact sport. You can't take those elements out of it. But Galahad looked good. He looked balanced, he looked composed, he picked his shots. You could see he knew what he wanted to do and how. You know, there were points in that fight towards the end where you saw on Galahad's trunks and gloves and it just looked harrowing, didn't it? And you're thinking someone pulled Jazza Dickens out of this for his own good. He was never going to win that fight. He was never at that level that Kid Galahad was. But you have to give him respect for toughing it out. And one thing you've got to say is from that broken jaw by Rigandau to this, he's never shown a willingness to quit. And he's been in with two guys who are highly skilled. And so credit to him. Like, you can never take that away from Jazza Dickens. What does he do next? Does he rematch Lee Wood? Worth it? I don't know. But what, what Eddie's done, and this has been pretty smart, is he secured two belts at 126. And I have a feeling they're going to bring Warrington down to 126. Once this Lara thing finishes, if Lara wins, they'll bring him down to, to fight for these belts. Or they'll bring those guys up to fight these guys. Either way, Eddie's trying to secure this little tournament here that he can just keep draining the money out of. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, if you want to secure a certain weight class, that's good. And then he's got Reese Bellotti in there as well if they need an opponent. But none of these guys call out Isaac Dogbo. None of them do. That's the biggest disgrace of all. And none of the fans say, why are you not calling out Isaac Dogbo, the real tough guy from this country in that division? Why are you not calling him out? What are you guys scared of? I don't want to hear none of this, ah, he doesn't sell tickets, he's not high profile enough, he's held a world title. Now they're calling out this Navarrete and all this sort of, nah, fine Isaac Dogbo. But congratulations to Kid Galahad, he's the last link to that that Ingle legacy. He's the last one that, you know, Brendan said would be truly elite, and he's proven that he is elite. So congratulations to him. Overall, like I said, card was okay, not going to poo-poo it, it was fine. But the lack of any scotney concerned me. Now, do I know what happened behind the scenes? No. Have I tried to ask questions? Maybe. Has the drawbridge gone up on all sides? Absolutely. So it's hard to tell you what, why Ellie Scottley didn't box on Saturday. I can't answer that. What I can say is from my experience, when something like that happens, there are issues somewhere. Don't know where they are? There are issues somewhere and I don't feel that they were related to the Saturday night card I hope I'm wrong because we're dealing with someone who's a a very nice human being a warm hearted soul one of the finest human beings you'll meet in boxing and sometimes when you expose people like that to the shark infested waters that are boxing they they may struggle I hope that's not the case. But it's a reminder to everyone considering getting involved in the sport. You need at least two people throughout your career that will never take a penny off you. But will give you the best advice for where you need to be. If you don't have those people in your your corner, you're going to get taken advantage of. Best believe that. But I hope to see Ellie out soon. Hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll see Ellie out. I think she's one of the flag bearers for women's boxing. And the more we see her, the more people become believers. So what else has happened? So pacquiao well, it Well, the, the fight's changed. And I think it's worrying that we're hearing that Errol Spence has a tear in his retina. Because they rarely fix themselves. And so you're on borrowed time. I think the surgeons can fix it and it will mean that Spence can fight, but he's probably got two or three hard fights left in him before he'll have to retire or go blind. The retina not designed for continual head trauma. It just isn't. And Spence is the guy who will take a shot to give four. So we're sad to see, but your Dennis you guess gets a chance, right? And that's the beauty of boxing. Like Jeff Horn got the chance against Pacquiao, out of nowhere, Ugas has got the shot, out of nowhere. And it's not going to be easy because he doesn't come to engage and Manny does best against people who come to take him out. Ugas isn't going to give him that. So how will Manny cope? Will Manny just destroy him with pace? At 42 years or 43 maybe? I don't know. But now this fight's really intriguing because Manny's had to do a little pivot and go, okay, I was going to fight Spence before, and he was going to really bring it. Ugas might not bring it, so I might have to go and take him out. Hmm. What are the tactics now? But still a fight that I'd watch. I wouldn't pay to watch it, but definitely a fight I'd watch. And I'm slightly concerned, because I imagine they knew about the Spence eye injury probably three weeks ago. And they just said, we're going to keep the pretense going so people subscribe and they buy, and the fight seems as big as it was. And so when Ugas steps in, it's not that big a deal. You know, you, under two weeks. You've made your commitment, so people are still going to watch Pacquiao. And this is no stain on Pacquiao's character, by the way. He will still be an all-time great if he beats Ugas. It's as simple as that. Whether, whether he can call out Mayweather after Ugas, I don't know. I'd still like to see it, I'm not going to lie. And then on the subject of people in their 40s, I've just heard that David Hayes is going to fight Joe Fournier. Just for the love of God, no. 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 For me, the only people David Hay can jump in a ring with are guys like Antonio Tava. I'd watch that. It has to be someone like an Antonio Tava, someone like a Clinton Woods, you know, someone of that kind of stature and level where you're like, you're about the same size. Go out there and make it happen. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that. But outside of that, because of the era in which David was, there aren't many natural rivals for him. So it's either someone from the generation after or the generation before. I'd like to see him against Tava. That's just my take on it. But you knew, let's be honest, we all knew as soon as David saw guys like Roy Jones and Mike Tyson grifting on this nostalgia tip, you knew David was going to dip his toe in at some point. Or at least test the waters and see what the response is. I think the response would be lukewarm to a Joe Fournier fight because it's Joe Fournier and who gives three, three shits what he thinks anyway. But Antonio Tava it gets interesting. Steve Cunningham gets really interesting. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'd even watch him with Chris Bird. I don't know what kind of shape Chris Bird is in but yeah, I'd be all over that. But they're the fights I want to see David in, like competitive fights, but fights that are sensitive to the fact that he's not as mobile as he used to be. Curveball. another hay bell you fight. Bell you's got a bit of timber on him now. David may feel he's got a chance. I don't know. But <laughs> do we need a third version of that? I don't think so. and <laughs> on that on that note, I'll leave you guys to to digest the points, but as always thanks for listening and I just we're in an interesting time I see a lot of people now you know like people talk about the Fight Disciples guys jumping over to match you and the other podcast guys jumping over and I can't begrudge them that because if and it's happened before but if someone rang me up and said Eddie'd like to talk to you about being one of the podcasts associated with DAZN it will be hard to say no. It would just be hard to say no because it's like someone saying, do you want to play for England but you don't like the manager? You're like, I still want to play for England. I still want to be at the top. So I understand why they did what they did. But then it's also painful to watch the, the shameless shilling that's going on now. You know, That's the hard part. The hard part is that you've got tweets. You have a history online. And now you've just literally turned 180 degrees, and you go, I'm mad. At, on one level, I'm mad because that's another critical voice gone, but I also understand why you take it. You know, the numbers that boxing podcasts do are not amazing. If you look at toe to toe by sky, at its peak, it was probably doing about four and a half, five thousand downloads a week. We're 60 to 70% of that. If, if there are people hard-charging and chasing, well, brackets, it depends on the episode. But if there are people up there doing double that, you'd have to verify those figures. A lot of these podcasts don't do numbers and don't have the reach that they claim. Boxing just ain't that big. You know, I look at some of the rugby podcasts and they're doing half a million to a million spins every week. We will never get to that with boxing. That's the downside of it but the upside is the devoted fans and the devoted following and I appreciate everyone who stops me in the street and goes I love your podcast I really appreciate that because you know sometimes I'm out with friends and stuff and they don't believe the reach that we have but I really appreciate that and look let's, let's keep finding ways to elevate this podcast art form because it's important and on that note I will sign off and say take care guys bye Thing. Yeah, I'm a convicted rapist. I'm 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 a I'm a hellraiser. I'm a father, a loving father. I'm a I'm a you know I'm a semi-good husband. You know what I mean? What you know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my. I, I was born poor. I ain't never had nuts, man. I don't know how to act. All right. But the real thing is, I'm just I'm just here to be me. So I don't care what uh, you you know, you know think what I am or who or who anyone thinks I am. Um, at this stage of my life. But um, yeah, I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan. Yeah, that's who I am.